The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, welcome everybody, and uh, we're back. Disability Law Show, reaching out any time to either Albert Klein or Savannah Markin. No problem, you can do that, one 855 821 That is the toll-free number. I'll give you the email address, which we use throughout the show. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. And a resource for you, I'll give you this right away. You can use this 24-7, keep it with you, and it's a great resource uh, for information and questions to be asked. To the guys who are a member of the team, that's mydisabilityquestions.com. Once you are there, you can simply put your question there to be answered or uh, search the database of previously asked questions, and they'll be answered uh, in detail. So you can use that anytime you'd like. But guys, we've got a lot to get through today on the show. Once again, three reasons you should call you guys before before you go to an independent assessment scheduled by your LTD disability insurer. So we'll get to that. First, we always kick off with the week that was. I think, Savan, you have one, and Albert, you have one. So you guys can duke it out as to who uh, who wants to go first. Well, let me, let me take a shot at it, John. Um, I don't have a specific one that I want to talk about. I want to talk generally. I do cool. get calls and emails uh, pretty much daily from people across the country. I mean, our offices are in Ontario and BC, so we help people in those two provinces at this point in time uh, with some plans of expansion. But, uh, you know, I do get calls and emails from across the country of people who are on long-term disability. So they have been approved uh, by their insurance companies, either through uh, a group policy through work or a private insurer. Uh, they have been getting long-term disability for an illness or an injury. But he, he, here's why uh, you know there's concern there when they're calling me. They are under the impression that their benefits end at the two-year mark. Right. So I get calls and emails from people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and early 60s who when I look at their policies and, and and quiz them about it, they say, no, yeah, the policy says that if I remain disabled from working in any occupation, uh, then I should be getting paid until age 65. But they only tell me that, and we only realize that when we look at the policy. They are calling me because they've been told by their adjuster, by their insurance company, that they're approaching the two-year mark, and that's it. Their benefits are ending. Now, many adjusters out there will say, hold on for a second, we never tell that to our insureds. We never tell that to the people on disability that they only have two years unless the policy is a very time-limited policy. And those do exist, by the way. They're rare, but they exist. Generally speaking, if you are on long-term disability, most LTD policies out there, by the vast majority of major insurance companies, you know, Sun Life, Great West Life, Manual Life, all those insurance companies, those insurance policies should take you to age 65. They sh- the benefits should continue until then if you satisfy the eligibility criteria uh, and if you can show medically that you cannot do not just your occupation but any occupation for which you're suited for. So this is key to understand because what happens is people listen to us, John, they see us on TV uh, and they get educated, which is the purpose of the show, but they realize sometimes too late Right. I had a gentleman call me uh, uh, just this week from from Vancouver, uh, who, who said, "Look, you know, I, I my benefits ended, but that was three years ago. I yeah. still can't work, uh, but I assumed that I only had my benefits for two years. And when we looked at his policy, it said until age sixty. It said until age sixty-five. So, so you have to understand that, uh, you know, if you get a letter, an email, a call from your adjuster that says you're approaching that two-year mark." 
they're not saying to you that your benefits will end or should end on that date. And if they are saying that without any qualification, something is wrong. You have to ask them, hold on, is my policy not a policy that takes me to age 65 if I cannot work in any occupation? And the reason why that two-year mark is important, again, just to refresh our audience's uh, uh, memory, uh, is that the vast majority of LTD policies require you to demonstrate through the help of your doctors who are treating you that you cannot do your own occupation for the first two years. That's what you need to show to get benefits for two years. Beyond the two-year mark, the test changes. It's no longer can you do your own occupation, but can you do, uh, sorry, can you not do your own occupation, but can you not do any occupation for which you, tra- uh, um, um, for, for which you have training, education, or experience? Right. So, so understand that most policies go to age 65. If you've been told your ends at the two-year mark, you got to ask more questions. You got to get a copy of your policy and really see and examine whether or not your policy uh, is a two-year policy, which is rare or if it's a standard policy that takes you to age 65. Do you fi- have you found, I mean, I've never, I don't have a disability policy I've ever had to look at because I've never been on disability, but is, is that little nugget of information something that's highlighted, easy to find, or is it generally confusion? People don't read their policy, maybe they don't know. No, it's generally easy to find. I mean, usually yeah. when you get these policies or have access to them, uh, you know, you can do, like if you get them in, a, in an email format uh, or a link, you can just control F. It's a PDF copy usually. And even, even if that's not the case, if your adjuster is telling you your benefits are ending, ask them why. And, and, and you know, yeah. when you get that letter that says your benefits will end on so-and-so date, usually, usually it explains the reason why. And what you got to be looking for is, are they saying it's just a two-year policy, meaning your benefits just automatically end, they expire at that point? Or are they saying that they don't believe that you meet the more expanded definition of disability that you have to meet in order to qualify beyond the two-year mark? And by the way, for anyone out there who has any questions, get in touch with us. We're going to help you through this. No charge. We'll answer your question. As long as you get us the policy, we'll tell you uh, within minutes whether or not you should be getting benefits beyond the two-year mark. And we're not going to charge you a dime for that information. That number, by the way, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Keep it and use it anytime. It is help at disabilityrights.ca, and the website is disabilityrights.ca as well. Just take the help at off the front of it, and it'll take you right there. And I guess uh, we haven't talked about it for a couple minutes. Maybe we we should before we go to our break here, uh, Savannah and Albert. That is covidrights.ca. That is still active, and it's still uh, it's still a concern with people, even though they're moving up in stages and things are starting to open up. This is still a concern, right? It's a huge concern, John. And you know, one of the bigger concerns that I'm noticing now is people who are being denied long-term disability uh, unjustifiably when they should be getting it, instead of instead of actually standing up for their rights or, or calling us for, for options and to talk to them about their legal uh, uh, entitlements, instead what they think is, okay, well, let me just go and apply for the CERB. And, and you may be getting the CERB, but the CERB is going to be ending very soon. You don't want to let go of those entitlements, uh, the money that the insurance company owes you. So be very careful of, you know, if you're denied or cut off LTD, to simply walk away from that money. Because you're going to wake up a few months down the road uh, or a few years, you're going to be very sorry you didn't pursue those entitlements and, and realize that you left potentially tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that's owed to you in the insurance company's pocket. 
Let's take a uh, let's take a short break, guys. Albert, you're up next, and then we're going to move on to the three reasons you should call us before you go to an independent assessment. We'll uh, we'll educate you on what that is all about. But in the meantime, reaching out simple one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred help at disabilityrights.ca is the uh, the email address. And if you go to disabilityrights.ca, you can catch past radio shows and links to the TV show as well. So do that uh, in the meantime, and we'll get right back at it after a break. Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And Disability Law Show, welcome back to it. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging around. You want to contact Albert or Savannah, a member of the team. There's a toll-free number. Keep it with you. It's uh, real simple, one 855 821 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. Albert, my brother, you got something to talk about for the week that was before we move on to our topic and some emails. Go for it. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Uh, so mine's kind of a public service announcement here. Uh, so when you're working with us or when you're working with an insurance company, it is so important that you always have to be honest. Your credibility is really the only thing you have. Uh, insurance companies often conduct surveillance, which I've talked about before. Um, or they'll, they'll really want to compare anything that you've told them uh, with what you're actually doing. And that's how they undermine your credibility. They often look at your Facebook. They look at your Instagram. So, for example, if you said you can't, you can't even sit at a desk, but they see you traveling all week, uh, taking these eight-hour eight hour plane rides, or, for example, if you've said that you can't do anything physical and then they see you playing three three days of 18 rounds of golf it just doesn't look all that consistent and i can't stress this enough your credibility is really the only thing you have so to provide everyone with an example i just had a mediation with a client who will call john for anonymity's sake nothing against you (laughs) (laughs) and uh (laughs) in advance of this mediation uh, a facebook search was done to my client and uh, it, the Facebook search revealed that he was running what we'll call, once again, for anonymity's sake, just a radio business. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, I will call for anonymity's sake a part, home pottery business. So what was once his hobby is now really his form of income. And the reason he started selling this was, be- of course, because he hadn't been paid by the insurance company in over a year and a half. But the problem here is that my client was specifically questioned on whether or not he had any other earnings. And of course, on oath, he swore to the fact that he didn't. Wow. And the point, yeah, the point was that my client didn't disclose this and should have. And now this was something that we had to really kind of work at, at mediation to convince the insurance company that my client wasn't a liar. And as soon as you lose your credibility, the insurance companies refuse to pay. It really undermines you going forward, and it's really tough to work away from Everything else we can deal with as long as you're honest from the get-go. So really my public service announcement is be honest to your insurance company, be honest to us, and we can work with any facts that uh, you may have. 
John, uh, if I can just chime in here, there's uh-huh. uh, just a couple of points. I agree with everything that Albert said, uh, but t- you know, two other points. One, uh, as an offshoot of what Albert just described, is this honesty. A lot of people are under the impression that if they disclose, you know, that they have another income, or or they disclose that perhaps they're going in the morning and working out, uh, but but you know, they're suffering from a mental health illness. So just by disclosing something or by saying to the insurance company, "Here's what I'm doing," they could potentially prejudice or claim and that may very well be true but here's the thing and I'm talking now as someone who used to work on the defense side Tamar who's 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 been on this show before and he's one of the the senior lawyers at the firm who does long-term disability who's worked up until recently for a major insurance company will tell you this Uh, the insurance company is likely going to find out okay and when they find out it's gonna be a lot worse for you Uh, it's gonna be a lot worse because your credibility will be shot and no matter how good we are, if our clients are branded liars and cheats, the insurance company is not going to budge. And you know what? Rightly so. Now, let me let me turn away to, to a second point here, which is this. It's not just our client's reputation on the line. It's our reputation For on sure. the line. It's yeah. taken us years to build up the reputation we have. And you know, insurance companies, especially, especially the lawyers representing insurance companies uh, and, and lawyers on the other side, on our side, it's a small bar. We know each other. So I know if I'm dealing with a defense lawyer, if they're reasonable or not, you know, if they're unprofessional or not, if they're liars or not, and, and vice versa. And when I used to work on the insurance side of things, we would know and we would tell our insurance clients, look, we got to be careful with this particular lawyer and law firm because they're not always on the up and up. They, they sometimes hide things. And, and you know what? That, that reputation, that, that solid reputation would, would, would infect all of the claims being handled by that specific law firm. On yeah. the other hand, if we came across a lawyer or a law firm that has a stellar reputation, they're known for honesty, you know, they play tough, okay, just like us. Look, we play tough, we, we work extremely hard, we fight for our clients until the end, but we are honest and we tell our clients to be truthful. Guess what? That's going to then, in the same way that the bad lawyer is going to infect the rest of his or her claims, in our situation, the fact that we have this reputation, that provides cover for every other client we have because the insurance company on the other side and the lawyer on the other side, they know that when we say X, it's really X and not Y. So you have to understand, you have to be truthful, you have to be honest. And, and as Albert said, even if the facts are not the best for your case, we can still deal with those facts. Right. Okay, That's really key here, as long as you're honest. Guys, let's take a break. We'll get into our topic for the day and a bunch of email as well. You want to send one along in the meantime, do so. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number anytime to reach Albert or Savan or James or Tamar, member of that uh, fantastic team at the firm, one 855 Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Disability Law Show. Reaching out to the uh, the guys is no problem. It's easy. And uh, you should, if only for a, a discussion. No problem. one 821 5900 the number, and disabilityrights.ca. Before, after we get to our uh, topic for the, uh, the day here, we'll move on to some email. You want to send one along, I'll give you some time to do that. Help at disabilityrights.ca. But right here, right now, three reasons... 
you should call us, call them. Uh, before you go to an independent assessment, that's scheduled by your long-term disability insurer. First one, guys, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, we will explain to you what you should expect at this assessment. That is huge. That is huge. It, it's so important, John. I couldn't agree more. It, uh, it's really important that you know who is doing the assessment, what type of assessment, how long these things are going to take, uh, just kind of for your own expectation management. You also know, want to know the purpose of the assessment, what the insurance company is trying to do, and ultimately who, who pays for the assessment. And keeping all of that in mind, uh, we explain all of that to you. On, on a usual case basis, it's usually the insurance company, who's almost always the insurance company, who's hiring their own doctor to really undermine your credibility. Mm-hmm. We talk about credibility a lot. Uh, and really what they're trying to do is they're trying to undermine your credibility and really prove that you're maybe not that functional. And you have to keep in mind that anything that you're saying will will or could be used against you. And that's really what you can expect at these assessments. They're usually a full day, sometimes two. You want to ask your insurance company these questions. Make sure you know who's assessing you, how long it's going to be. Is it one day or two? How long you're expected to be there? What types of information you might need to know in advance if you have to bring anything Uh, and really that just helps kind of get you prepared for uh, your own expectations in terms of making sure that you you know what's going into it and you don't say anything that you shouldn't. Uh, Savannah's actually going to talk about how you need to prepare for this assessment as well. Well, yeah, yeah that's the sorry, right. man. That is the next question because it's it's right. a daunting task, and it can be you know you're you're obviously if you're on disability and going for an assessment already, you're not on your your tip top shape, so you're you can be nervous. So how does one prepare for that? So, so before I answer that, I just want to make sure people understand. Uh-huh. Generally, when an insurance company asks you to go see an assessor, a doctor, or some kind of another professional that they've chosen to assess you, uh, many people, when they contact us with this, say, but why do they need that? I have my own doctors have been treating me, and they're saying right. I'm disabled, I can't do this or that. Again, that's a good question. First of all, you have to go to these assessments. It's mandated by your policy that you should be going to them, with some exceptions. Uh, but but then the question becomes, well, why are they sending you? And they're sending you for exactly why Albert said, because they are trying to figure out if they can get some kind of a professional, quote-unquote, opinion that will allow them to then say, you are no longer disabled from working or you are ready to go to, to try and return to work program, no matter what your own doctors are saying. So that's really the backdrop here. And this is why typically you see this not at the outset of a case, but so, at some point near the two-year mark or, or at some point in the future. Yep. Now, Albert's right about the expectation, what to expect from these assessments. In terms of preparation, you know, I, I really, what I would say is, you know, divide preparation to two uh, parts here. Number one is psychological and number one is everything else. Psychologically, you have to understand the rationale for why the insurance company is sending you, which is what I just discussed. They're sending you to this assessment, not as an objective measure of what you can or cannot do and can you go back to work or are you disabled. They'll tell you that's the reason why they're doing it. And many adjusters who are listening now are probably swearing at me saying, no, this is objective. You were trying to be independent. That's why these things are called independent assessments. That's bull. Okay. They're called independent assessments. Okay. But the independent assessments that they're calling as independent are not independent because they're paying these people. So these individuals who are assessing you, know where their bread is buttered, right? They're getting these kinds of projects and assessments. They're making part of their income through these assessments. So therefore, I I would argue they are loyal 
to whoever's paying them, which sure. is the insurance company. So psychologically, you have to you have to understand and prepare yourself for the fact that you're not going to see someone who's going to be sympathetic to your situation. Sometimes, by the way, you do go to someone who's sympathetic, but generally, assume that the person you're going to see is not going to be sympathetic. The second type of preparation is tell your doctors that you've been asked to be seen by an assessor from the insurance company. Uh, make sure your doctors understand that whoever the insurance company is sending you to, uh, they may end up getting a report from that assessor that contradicts the conclusions of your own doctors. Right. And the reason you want to tell your doctors about this is because if you end up getting uh, that kind of, of an assessor who is going to crank out a report that contradicts your doctors and gives the insurance company ammunition to cut you off or, or trying to force you back to work, you need to get a copy of that report from the adjuster and you have to give that to your doctor so your doctors can provide a rebuttal. Okay, it's very, very important. Your doctors need to be ready to provide a report that breaks apart, takes apart the conclusions of the assessor who's only seeing you once, whereas your own doctors have been treating you potentially for weeks, months, or years. And by the way, before you go to the assessments, when you are told by your adjuster, we want you to be seen by so-and-so on so-and-so date, confirm with the adjuster before the assessment that they will give you a copy of any reports yeah. or opinions that they end up getting from this assessor. And I say that because a lot of times when the adjuster gets a copy of that report from the assessor, they won't give that to you. What they'll do is they'll cherry pick from that report, but they'll never give you the full report. So you can't give that then to your doctors. So just confirming your adjuster before the assessment, say, listen, I understand I have to go to this assessment. I will go to it, but please confirm to me that you will provide me with a copy of that report uh, after you receive it. And generally speaking, adjusters will say yes. Okay, that's very important. The last point I'll make here is during your assessment, this goes back to Albert's first point here at the beginning of the show, yeah. be honest, don't underplay any of your symptoms or restrictions, don't overplay them. Okay, you want to be as honest as you can be, as truthful as you can be. Let the cards fall as they may. We will deal with the issues as they arise, but be as truthful as you can. That's how you prepare for one of these assessments. We're talking about the three reasons you should call these guys the firm before you go to that independent assessment. The number one reason, the third in the uh, in the three, is coming up here after a short break. In the meantime, the phone number reaching out can be uh, done quite simply at one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Website is disabilityrights.ca. Past radio shows and links to the television show are there as well. And I'll give you the email address because that's where we're going right after we finish off the third reason. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. It's disability law show continues on global news radio you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of global news radio 640 toronto and welcome back disability law show we'll continue on here we'll get to some of your emails in uh, just a couple minutes here that is help at disabilityrights.ca the phone number 1-855-821-5900 but uh, as promised wrapping up the three-point topic for today and that is three reasons you should call us before you go to an independent assessment and the last one albert uh, is this we will explain to you what you must do after the assessment and just quickly, John, before I do yeah. get into this, uh, a lot of people ask you what you should wear. And uh, it, it seems like a bit of a funny, funny question, yeah. but you really don't know what to wear to these uh, assessments. So I always, I always tell people to wear a kind of business casual. I, I never really know how to dress 
uh, anyone but myself. But uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but that, all that being said, usually for for a guy, say uh, something something like a collar shirt. You want to look like you're taking the process seriously, and you want generally the uh, the doctor to like you. It's also important to make sure that you're there on time and to understand that from the second you leave your car all the way until you leave, they're watching you. They wow. are assessing what you're what you're doing. So all you you don't wanna you don't wanna leave your car able to walk and then all of a sudden get into this office with a bit of a limp. Uh because they've probably seen you leave your car. Uh but mo- more importantly, which we've spoken about right at the outset of today, is you wanna be honest. So you don't wanna be coming in with a limp if you don't actually have one. Uh but going into what you have to do after this assessment uh, as Savan said, you want to make sure you get the report. You want to make sure you go through it. You were the one who was there at the assessment. And you want to scrutinize what you've said and what they've written down. If they're say- writing things down that you simply haven't told them, you need to make, make a note of that. And then you want to give that to your doctor. And if the, if the report is favorable to you, great. Uh, the insurance company really should not be cutting you off on that basis. But if the report is not favorable to you, that's where your doctors come in. That's where you want to get your doctors to undermine uh, everything that this hired gun has said. And uh, because at the end of the day, you know you can't work. And if your doctors are supportive, if your doctors can undermine that report, you're really you're really going to uh, have a lot of success moving forward, irrespective of whether they do cut you off. And just personally, I'd be more than happy to speak with anyone who has an assessment coming up. Um, be happy to speak with them about what they can expect, even though we've gone over it uh, during this show. There's, there's a lot more that actually goes into it. We'll spend half an hour, an hour, uh, just fully prepping you for some of the questions that you can expect uh, and really any questions or concerns that you may have. So please give me a call anytime. If you do have an independent assessment coming up, I'm more than happy to speak with you. Savannah, you just uh, just momentary uh, moments ago, you got a you got an email that you uh, you want to discuss. What's up with it? Absolutely. But before I get to that, I just want to say yep. I don't know any firm or any lawyer out there like Albert who will simply put out on the radio just a blanket offer to speak with anyone who has any question about an assessment coming up uh, in in the long term disability context. I mean, most lawyers, you go to them, they will say, talk to me after you're denied or, uh, you know, pay me for me to speak with you. That's a traditional way that lawyers deal with these things. This is a free and blanket offer to speak with anyone who has an assessment coming up uh, on their long-term disability claim. And, And maybe it's not you, the listener. Maybe it's someone you know, a family member, a colleague, you know. Perhaps by speaking with us, uh, we can we can potentially make it less likely that the assessment will not go your way, that a report is not going to come out unfavorable to you. We can't guarantee that. We have no control over that, but sure. we can prepare you. So, so that's really, really amazing uh, that, that, that Albert did that. Uh, the email that just came in, actually, it's interesting because as, as we're now uh, recording this, um, uh, I'm getting an email from, from a, a lady uh, in the GTA uh, she's she's basically been told she's been on long-term disability for the last two years um, uh, she she's been on it because of uh, bipolar anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. the insurance company despite the fact that she has a psychiatrist and a family doctor who are saying that she should be off work uh, and by the way she's 36 years old despite that uh, the insurance company says, we think you are ready to go back to work. Of course, that's contrary to what uh, her doctors are saying. And by the way, they have not sent her to an assessment at this point. Uh, but they're saying, no, 
you're coming up to the two-year mark. We think you can go back to work. Your last payment is going to be uh, your last payment is going to be August 30th. Uh, she writes. So, so let's just take a look at that for a second. You have someone on long-term disability suffering from mental health issues who's fairly young, on medication, severe psychiatric issues here, has support from a psychiatrist. It's a medical doctor. And, and despite that, the insurance company is saying, we think you can go back to work. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? And we see this all the time, John. And people don't know what to do. They simply don't know. They think, okay, maybe I can appeal this decision. Maybe I can convince the insurance company that they've made a mistake. Trust me, they have not made a mistake. Huh. They understand very well what they're doing because they do this every single day. Their job is to stop paying on as many claims as they can. And they're taking uh, the chance, they're betting that most people will walk away from the money that's owed to them. In this case, this lady has done the right thing in contacting me. I'm looking at her email right now. So we're going to be able to help her. I can tell you right now, just based on this basic information here, we'll be able to help her. And and this is something I want to mention to everyone here. We can make these assessments almost always on the phone within minutes of speaking with you. Okay. So And there's no obligation. You're not signing anything. You're not paying us anything. We will simply tell you. We'll take you. We'll ask you some facts. Uh, we will ask you some questions about your case. And we will tell you within minutes whether or not you have a legal case against the insurance company. Sometimes we'll say you don't, and sometimes we'll say we do, but at least you will know. And this is what I'm trying to say here. Knowledge is power. And as long as you're in the dark, the insurance company has power over you. As soon as you have the information you need, that power is gone. Okay, The playing field has been evened. You can now uh, make a decision on how you want to proceed with your claim. And if you still want to walk away, that's fine, but at least you know what you're walking away from. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is that number you want to write down as we go to a break here. We'll get to some email. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. And another way for you to reach out, ask some questions, get some information, mydisabilityquestions.com. Again, free to use uh, anytime. Disability Law Show continues. Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. Yeah, the uh, the numbers one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to uh, Savannah or Albert, member of the team. No problem. Help uh, help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. First one up for uh, today's show, guys, is Sandy. Sandy says, uh, my wife, 39 years old and has struggled uh, with depression for years. She got better in the past few years after losing a lot of weight and focusing on her health. She even ran a half marathon two years ago in Hawaii. But in the past year or so, she's had issues at work and she spiraled back into depression. She's seeing a therapist regularly and he thinks that she should be off work. She was initially off on short-term disability and recently she applied for long-term. We got a denial letter from the insurance company saying that she doesn't qualify for long-term disability because her depression and anxiety are work-related. What can we do? So uh, l- l- let me let me answer this, Sandy, and then uh, you know we'll we'll get uh, Albert's thoughts. Uh, it's quite common for insurance companies to take the position that 
the disability is situational. And what that means is that they're saying it has to do with your work environment. In other words, uh, you know, as James, James Fireman likes to say, long-term disability insurance is not bad boss insurance. He uses more <laughs> yeah. crass language. But the point is, if you have an issue at work and you know, your inability to work is simply related to that specific situation as opposed to every situation out there, uh, then, then, you know, your recourse is a potential claim against your employer for constructive dismissal, which of course we can help with because we have employment lawyers that deal with these cases all the time. But there is a difference between situational or generalized condition. So situational, again, is specific situation, your work situation. In other words, if you were to then uh, be put in a different office, different boss, different colleagues, you'd be able to function and do your job. In that scenario, the insurance company is correct. They're not on the hook for uh, you know, whatever the individual is suffering from and, and you know, f- for, for paying anything. But in Sandy's wife's situation, uh, it seems like she's had this issue for years, this mental health uh, uh, problem for years. And what happened at work is that it aggravated the situation for her and uh, spiraled back into depression. And, and the question really is this. If her depression now prevents her from working in other work environments, not just in the specific place where she's at, okay? If you take those stressors aside and you put her in a different environment, if she still cannot do her job, uh, well, then her condition is generalized, right? It's beyond just that specific situation. So in that case, the long-term disability insurer is absolutely on the hook here, and they should be paying. The problem is that in many instances, the insurance company either doesn't go through this analysis, or by default, they tell people like Sandy or Sandy's wife, nope. Your situation is work-related without actually going in through the no, you know, through the nuances of the case, and say we we're not we're not responsible for this. This is this is an issue you have with your employer, when when in fact the opposite is the case that it's generalized now and they are responsible for paying. So again, situational versus generalized condition is something we see all the time where insurance companies incorrectly deny claims. And I urge people like Sandy, like Sandy's wife, to contact us because we can help. And Sandy, specifically to you, I'll say, we can help your wife. Uh, I suggest that after this show, we we get in touch with each other. I want to see some of the medical documents uh, or some of the documents from the therapist, the denial letter, and and we can advise you, again, within minutes, what your wife's uh, um, options are here. But my gut sense is that we can absolutely help her, and the insurance company, once we get involved, will back off, capitulate, and pay. Albert, Albert, anything anything on your end? Yeah, it's it's really such a fine and confusing point and this generalized versus situational condition and I think I think that's why it's uh, confusing for everyone and insurance companies love when things are confusing because then they can just give blanket generalized statements to uh, to essentially deny you or address the issue so in this instance they're always going to say even though it even though it could be generalized as long as your condition was caused by your workplace they're always going to say it's situational so you need to you need to undergo this analysis or ask someone to help you undergo this analysis. Uh, and I like to stress that it's absolutely okay if your work in- environment has caused your condition. That doesn't mean it's situational just because it was caused by your work environment. We see this all the time. Uh, really, it boils down to functionality. And a lot of what you can do is you can uh, you can explain to your doctor the symptoms that you experience. And if you're experiencing a lot of these symptoms out of work, 
it's a lot more compelling that this is a generalized type of uh, condition whereby you are unable to work in many different environments. Uh, and then also, Sandy, uh, you're also going to want to tell your wife to tell her doctors about the other triggers that she has. Uh, clearly, she's struggled for years, so there must be a number of other other issues that she's had to deal with. Uh, she's also had some weight issues, which you mentioned, and she's no longer running. So already right there, there's two very solid reasons for why your my, wife might, might be experiencing some of the depression symptomology that she is. And she needs to convey that to her doctor and not only speak about her work environment, because then her doctor is going to convey that uh, in the medical notes and it's, the insurance company is going to have a lot less of an argument that it's purely work-related. And then kind of the last point is most, most of these policies actually require you to apply for workers' compensation if you do have a condition that was caused by your work environment. And by applying right away, you actually take away the insurance company's ability to say that it is work-related. Because if you do apply and you are approved, great. Uh, then you'll receive some benefit payments from them, but that doesn't mean that it's situational. But then if you are, if you do apply and you're denied, it becomes very, very difficult for the insurer to say that it's work-related. All of these things are important to do, but uh, mm-hmm. please, John, close us off. You bet, Sandy. Appreciate the uh, the email and uh, pass that along to your wife and the phone number because that was an email. Just in case you don't have it, toll free one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We'll get to another email as we get down to the uh, closing few minutes of the show here. Disability Law Show continues. Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And thanks for hanging on uh, through the break. Disability Law Show continues here. We'll get to a, another email, fellows. By the way, the email anytime, not just during the hour of the show, is help at disabilityrights.ca. The phone number to reach out to Savannah, a member of his team, Albert, or otherwise, one 855 821 5,900 toll-free, of course. Dan, you're up next. Fella Dan says, uh, guys, my cousin listens to you all the time, loves your show. He told me to contact you. I'm 42 and have worked as a mechanical engineer for over 15 years. I was off on long-term disability for a neurological disorder, but after working with my neurologist and getting new medications, my condition improved somewhat, enough for me to agree to try to go back to work gradually. I did that uh, with my doctor's blessing, but the medication appears now to not be as effective as we thought, and I need to stop working. I told my adjuster this and gave them a letter from my neurologist saying that I should be off work. But the adjuster refuses to put me back on LTD and says that the insurer will no longer pay me. I'm going to appeal this decision, but I wanted your advice on how to best improve my chances to make the insurance company pay me benefits again. I think I know what the first piece of advice is going to be, and it has to do with the appeal, right, guys? Of course, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, we talk about this endlessly. Uh, Dan, please, please tell uh, y- you know y- y- your cousin, thank you very much uh, for, for telling you uh, about us, uh, because... I'm going to save you a lot of headaches and hassle here, and I'm going to tell you the truth here. The truth is this. You have a case. The insurance company must pay you. I'll explain why. Do not appeal this. And the reason why we talk about these appeals, I'll just touch on this very briefly, is because these appeals are internal processes for the insurance company uh, to basically keep you know keep you running around in circles uh, you know, l- like a hamster on a wheel. 
as long as you are engaged in these appeals, uh, there is no end in sight uh, for, for you to get money. And the reason is because no one is pressuring them to pay you. First of all, they can take their time with their decision-making process. And secondly, uh, it's the same people, it's the same group of people, or it's the same people within the same company that are looking at your appeal. If they right. denied you at first, why would you? Why would you know they deny you? Uh, sorry, why would they not deny you a second time and a third time? And that's what we see over and over and over, John. People who have gone through this appeal process once, twice, three times, sometimes more, only to come to us frustrated, uh, believing that there is no way no way whatsoever that they can make the insurance company pay them. That's just not true. So the alternative is what we do, which is to start and initiate a legal claim against the insurance company. That puts them on the defensive. Now let's turn to the first point here. You've tried to go back to work. You've done the right thing. You've done the right thing. And I tell people, if you think you can go back to work or start a return to work program, even if it's a gradual return on modified duties, modified hours, work with your doctors, work with your employer, by all means do it. We want people to go back to work. But insurance policies contain provisions that provide a safety net if that does not work out, okay? And, and that provision that I'm referring to is called a recurrence clause. It's, it's a provision in your policy that says that if within a certain period of time of you trying to go back to work, you're unsuccessful and you have to go back on LTD, you don't have to wait the elimination period, that period of time at the beginning of the claim where you were not paid. Usually it's about 90 days, sometimes it's more, but you know it's really important to understand the insurance company has an obligation to put you back on claim. That's what this recurrence clause is all about. And yet in many, many cases, Dan, you're not alone here, people who try in good faith to go back to work and are not successful are then blocked by their insurance companies from getting further LTD. And so, John, in this case, Dan is unable to go to work. He's, he cannot earn income. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that safety net he had with the LTD insurer, who has an obligation to pay him, are now saying, we're not going to pay you. So, you know, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, has no money coming in. And this is why he's talking about this appeal, because he doesn't understand, well, now he does, that there is a much better, faster, more efficient way of forcing the insurance company to do what they're obligated to do under the insurance policy, which is to put him back on claim. We've dealt with many of these cases. They're actually not difficult to resolve. Uh, and insurance companies, you know, again, it's a numbers game for them. They're going to try and, and, and you know, game the system here. They're going to try and bet that you're going to walk away or, or you know, uh, uh, start this appeal process, which is going to lead you nowhere, as opposed to come to us, come to a lawyer, a firm that knows what they're doing, to force the insurance company uh, to come to the table and do what they're supposed to do. Albert, what do you think? I, I, I agree. We, we stress this all the time in the show. Mm-hmm. Appeals are really going to get you nowhere. I don't think I need to hammer this home too much, but uh, for all of our new listeners, please, please don't appeal. It's just going to waste your time. I, I see this all the time where I'll speak to someone and I never want to pressure them to uh, necessarily sign up with us. I tell them the facts. I tell them that time and time again, the appeals are are really just there to delay and uh, make you feel a little bit disheartened or disengaged in the cl- in, in the claims process. And then they call me four, five, six months down the road saying, I wish I started this right away. Mm-hmm. And so you want, to, you want to start and initiate a legal claim because really that puts the insurance company on the defensive. As Van said, that's so important. 
You know, last uh, last minute before we uh, we wrap up here, Savannah, I want to mention we had a lot of talk uh, today about assessments. Now, the, uh, mm-hmm. clarify, the assessment you have to go to, if they're telling you where to go for treatment, that is a different thing in reference to the insurance company, correct? Absolutely. I tell people do not go to whoever they're telling you to go to for treatments if you have an alternative. If you have no alternative, it's a problem, right? Because if they're saying, look, there's a clinic here, there's a doctor that can give you treatments, the treatments you need, uh, and you don't have an alternative, you don't have somebody else who can give you those treatments, it's a problem for you to say no because then it may look as though you're not engaged in in reasonable attempts and efforts at getting better. But it's really, really key to understand that if the insurance company tells you to go to an assessment, you got to do that. But there is no corresponding obligation to go to treatments with whomever they tell you to go to if you have an alternative, if you have your own doctors that are treating you. Guys, we're done for another day. Some excellent stuff there. If we didn't get to your email, that's okay. Uh, we'll get to it on a future show. And if you didn't send one, you can send one now. No problem. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Just bring the questions on. That's what they're there for. That and the number is one 821 The website, disabilityrights.ca. And you can also go to mydisabilityquestions.com anytime you'd like. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.